0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So we're going to pick up again talking about hope this morning. We've actually got, better look at the time, we've got a lot of ground to cover. So I'm going to talk fast and you're going to listen fast. And I encourage you to get something out to write with and write on or whatever, however you do that, and uh, we're going to get into some things today. Last week, we laid a lot of foundation. I'm not going to go back through a lot of it and do less review than normal. I will remind you that one of our foundation verses was in First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which in part tells us, always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope that is in you, but do it courteously. And respectfully. So we looked at, at that and other verses talked about the fact that the expectation for Christians is that we, uh, in fact the, the Bible says we are born again into an ever-living or eternal hope. Born again. Our environment, the, the environment of God, the environment of heaven in which we live is one of hope. Can we turn that fan on? Do you have the... um? So there is the expectation of the scripture is that we will live with hope all the time. That it is enduring, it is everlasting. It uh, will probably look at some other scriptures within this series that will tell us that the hope that God gives us, it exists, that's part of the word eternal. It isn't just that it lasts a long time, it exists outside of time. So, so things not happening on time will not wear down spiritual hope, biblical hope. They will wear down natural hope. And we talked last week about whether the, whether the hope is just a natural hope, and we all function in that, or whether it's biblical hope. It, it depends on the source of it. Are we, is the hope that is in us coming from the Word, from God's promises, from His nature, from His character, from our interaction with Him, our time spent with Him? Is that what's birthing the hope and the vision in your life? Or is it some natural circumstance? If it's a natural circumstance, then it's totally open to being torn down by other natural circumstances or the passage of time that's more than you expected or, or whatever. All right. But we lay that out when the Bible and I'll just give you this definition again. When the Bible uses the term hope, it's not the same idea that we think of as hope. Ours is kind of a, a wishing. It's more of a, there's a lot of doubt in it. It's a wishing. You know, we say, I hope. This, again, this is one of these words, I wish we'd come up with a, a different word instead of using the word hope here. But anyway, <clears throat> the the biblical word hope comes from a Greek word that means the joyful and confident expectation of good. That term confident is really important in there. The happy anticipation of God's promise being fulfilled. All right, happy anticipation. There's joy in it. It is, it is something where we are confident. We are just anticipating. We're just, we're just waiting. The thing is still in the future. There's Hope is about the future. But we are pulling on something because we're so confident in it. This word is directly related to the family of words that describe faith, uh, believing, faithfulness, all those types of things. So there's a tremendous amount of confidence in this word. All right? So today, what I want to get into today, and you can probably head over to Numbers chapter 13, fourth book in the Bible, Numbers uh, chapter 13. I want to talk to you about the fact that both your hope or your discouragement are really contagious. And we saw there in 1 Peter that it there's an expectation for the Christian not only to have hope but for it to be so evident that people ask you about it. How is it in all of this? How is it that you still have a hope in God in all of this that's going on? How is it that you have a hope for your future? How is it that you have a hope for your family? How is it that you have this, the, the idea that we have to be able to give an account of it assumes right that, it'll be some, that we'll have something to give an account of and it'll be so evident in our lives that people will notice it and they'll ask us about it. And then the scripture says, be ready to give an account of it. Okay. The point is that as we live in hope and as we communicate hope, And that doesn't have to be something we we study and pray about and think about. This is supposed to be a pretty natural outflow from who we are in God. Everything, all of the fruit of our life is supposed it's it's the result of a life process, not of getting all the facts right and then trying to tell somebody about it. Right? And and so as we communicate hope it's contagious. It infects other people. It brings hope into their life. The same thing is true of discouragement. If we allow the seeds of discouragement to begin to grow in our life, we're going to see a number of things that happen. But one of them is you will begin to communicate what's in your heart in abundance. Jesus told us that, right? I'll read it to you just in case you missed it. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, you can stay there in Numbers. I'm just going to give you a few verses here. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 and 34, Jesus said, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. What's he saying? Make the inside good and what comes out of it will be good. All right. And then he said, or make a tree bad and and that means corrupt. And its fruit will be bad. What comes out of it will be bad. In other words, deal with the inside and you'll fix what comes out. But deal with the inside. You can't, you're can't. you not supposed to just go, you know, go down to city market, buy a bunch of apples and go hang them on the tree to make it look like a productive tree. You're supposed to make the tree healthy. It'll do what it does and produce fruit. He said, he, his loving Jesus, said, you brood of vipers... How can you who are evil say anything good, for out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks? This is just the truth. Out of the overflow, whatever's in our heart in abundance, it will come out our mouths. We can hang on to it for a while. We can fake it for a while. We can contain it for a while. And I'm not saying that sometimes you shouldn't do that. Okay? It's good for us to think before we speak a lot of times, or, or type, as the case may be. But I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but it's not a solution. What's in your heart will come out in abundance and it's going to come out like fruit comes out of a tree. It's going to carry seed. It's going to go into other people. It's going to reproduce itself. So if hope is coming out of your life, if hope exists in abundance in your heart, it will come out in your words and your actions. If discouragement exists in abundance in your heart, it will come out in your words and actions Either one of those will sow seed. In other words, you will change or impact the people around you and even the culture around you. And in some cases, like we're going to look at today, a whole nation can be impacted with either hope or discouragement. All right, the Bible also tells us that both life and death, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Our words are really important and ultimately, again, just one more time, you can't just go through life trying to say the right thing. Again, not that you shouldn't do that once in a while. It's okay. It's better than saying the wrong thing all the time. But you have to get with God and get what's in your heart changed so that fruit of your words, the fruit of of your lips is something that you want to eat and you want to feed to the people around you. All right. So we're going to get into numbers here in a second, but the end of the story we're going to read this morning is described in Deuteronomy chapter one, verse 28, 40 years later, Moses said, that the negative report, the evil report that these spies that we're going to read about this morning, they went in and looked at the land of Canaan before they went in to determine what it was like. The evil report, it says that they brought back, 10, 10 spies brought back a negative report, two spies brought back a positive report. Those 10 people, it says, impacted the entire nation. That those negative reports were drawn into hearts and they impacted the whole nation. They impacted, they delayed the plan of God for an entire generation. They spent 40 years in the wilderness that they didn't need to spend. That wasn't God's original idea. But because they took hold of the evil report and took it in, the, the terminology there in Deuteronomy says that it melted like wax the hearts of the people. That negative report melted their hearts like wax. The courage that was in there, the the boldness that had come from spending time with God and hearing his word and seeing what he was doing, it melted out of them because of the negative report that those spies brought back. So both hope and discouragement are really powerful. And you will... So one or the other. The same is true of of fear. The same is true of faith. The same is true of all these things. But we're talking about hope and discouragement today. But what's in your heart in abundance will come out, and it will impact others. All right. So let's go over there to Numbers chapter thirteen. Let's go ahead and begin reading in verse seventeen. I'm going to read through this, and then we'll pick it apart a bit, as much as we have time for this morning. Numbers chapter thirteen. I'm reading from the NIV. It begins in verse. Uh, 17 is where we're going to start. It says, When Moses sent them, this is these 12 leaders that they had picked, all right, to explore, get that word, explore Canaan, he said, Here's their instruction, all right, here's their assignment Go up through the Negev and into the hill country, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, what kind of land do they live in, is it good or bad? What kinds of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of that land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Okay, so their assignment, they knew what God's assignment was to go in and dispossess the inhabitants and... and possess the land, right? That was God's word to them. These guys, their assignment was go look at it so we can make plans. Go look at, see what it's like. Their assignment was not to go in and by looking at it, decide whether what God said was possible or impossible. That's nowhere in there. They said, go see if God can really do this. He didn't tell them that. He said, go see what it's like and, and bring us a report of it. Just go see what it's like. When we look at circumstances, we can we can develop, you know, when God says something to us and, and we know he's leading us somewhere, whether that's in a change in our own hearts and lives or stepping into something new, whatever it might be. We can look at the circumstances around us and we can evaluate what 's that going to be like you know what what as God gets this thing done here 's what 's here now that needs to change right because because we're we're looking at the circumstance through what God has said it 's going to change all right no matter who 's in there it 's going to change. We just want to be able to plan we want to kind of know what we 're looking at i don't think that's a problem I also don't think having questions for God is a problem. you know we can see that in the New testament with with uh well, when, when Mary asked, you know, when the angel came and said, you're, you're going to have a son, you're a virgin, you're going to have a son, she asked the question, how? How's it going to happen? She didn't deny that it was going to happen. She didn't, he, she didn't say, you know, how how is that even possible, God? I, you know, that's just impossible. She didn't come back with that. She just said, I'm not married, you know. How's this going to happen? And he told her. There was obviously a different attitude in her heart than John's, an old man. So, anyway, I don't want to spend a bunch of time there. But it's, there's not a problem with asking God questions. But we do need to be careful about allowing the circumstances that we see to color, to tell us that what God said is not possible you know we need to be really careful about that again we said it you know we've got to learn this thing of we've got to interpret circumstances through what god has said not interpret god's word through circumstances well god says this but you know that really isn't practical that doesn't work that's not that's not really for today you know that kind of attitude instead we're supposed to be filtering what we see around us through what God says, and who God is, and the way that God does things. All right, so in verse 27, let's see, we need to read on, don't we? Sorry, verse 21, let's just finish this, and then we can go back. So they went up and explored the land as far as the desert of Zin, as far as Rehob, Libo, Hamath, all these different places. They went up through the Negev, which is the southern part. They came up to Hebron, where these different kinds of people lived, uh, the descendants of Anak lived. In um, verse 23, when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. So, you know, that always impresses us that, wow, there were figs, there was, you know, clusters of grapes big enough, two people had to carry them on a pole. So that's a good sign about the place. Verse 24, that place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So let's read through this report and then we'll come back. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Here's what they said. Notice this. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Okay, it does. It, it's what you said. It's what God said it would be. It's what you said, Moses. And here is its fruit. Here's the physical evidence of what we're saying. By the way, sidebar, that phrase, milk and honey, uh, that phrase speaks of health and prosperity. Health is, and I know some of you don't accept this, but, the, but milk and milk represented health okay and and honey is it's it's not necessary it's just great it's just more than enough so to the Jews at the time it meant health and prosperity and they said it's a land that flows with milk and honey it flows with health and prosperity okay and and this is its fruit you know look at this look at the size of these grapes you know and and so that was the report that he gave them And then in verse 28, the first word, but, however, you know, the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, which were, they were giants. Okay. They were, they were big people. All right. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him, now get this, here's this contradictory report. Men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. They're they're giants, all right? We, We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So let's bounce back to verse 27, and let's pick some of this up. All right, so again, they said... Surely, in verse twenty seven this was their report absolutely, this place flows with milk and honey, and here 's the fruit we 've got the physical evidence in our in our hands and then, in verse twenty eight very next verse, but nevertheless, but however right that 's always it 's always a bad sign when it comes like that. The people who dwell there are strong, the cities are fortified, and very large. Moreover, there we saw the sins of Anak of great stature and courage. All right. So when we start, what happens is, when we start to analyze, we start to minimize God's promise and magnify what we're seeing on the outside. Discouragement, the seeds of discouragement begin to work, and and what happens in those in those situations is the impossibilities that we're seeing in the natural get bigger. And the possibilities get smaller. And you can think about as we talk about this, this is just something both hope and discouragement have this ability. They magnify one thing or the other. Hope focuses on what who God is and what He has said. And it's just like on our phones these days, you know, we have a magnifier. And when you start that up and you get it over something, it magnifies it, but then there's a slider, right? And you can make it bigger. You can look at real detail or you can make it smaller, but that magnifier is adjustable. And the same thing happens. Hope will focus on and see and anticipate what God has said and the promise of God. It gets so caught up in that, that it magnifies God. It doesn't make God bigger. The scripture tells us, be magnified in my sight, O Lord. It doesn't change God, but in my sight it does. My my interaction in this changes because God gets bigger through hope. Discouragement does the opposite. It magnifies the circumstance. And that's just what happened here as they continued through the report. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger. The negative got bigger and bigger and bigger. I've seen this I've seen this so much on social media lately of people that are they're discouraged or they're angry about something and it starts out, well this happened. And then the next day, this and this and this happen, And then the next day, it's even worse. And it's even worse. And as one person picks it up and communicates it to the next person, they add something to it. And pretty soon, a week later, it's like 50 horrible things happen. It's worse than we ever thought. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That is, discouragement will do that. Fear will do that. All of those types of things will work in our hearts to make you know and again we always say this all from God's perspective all the impossibilities are the same size they're they're all possible there are with God all things are possible there aren't any impossibilities with God but man we can turn something that's a challenge into a massive impossibility. And again, it doesn't change the situation. It certainly doesn't change God, but it does change our experience, it does change what we're able to move into and, and take hold of. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so, so that's what they began to do. They said, you know, but let, let us explain to you why, yes, it's a great land. It flows with milk and honey. Look at the grapes. This is awesome. But wait a minute. Let us explain to you why it's still impossible for God's word to come to pass in our life. Let us let us take some time and and tell you this. And they did. And so the question is were the were there giants in the land? Yep. Were there challenges? Yep. Were there fortified cities? Yeah. All those challenges were real. They were all there. Every one of those things was there, but God knew that before he sent them in, before he gave them that word, before he expressed his plan, before he made the promise, God knew that. I've seen, you know, I've seen Christian people come to Gunnison and, then, and they feel called here. I'm not just talking, I know people come and go and, you know, that's, that's cool. But, but they, they come to this valley and God called me here. A year or two later, it's like, well, it's impossible to make a living here. It can be challenging for sure. But did God know about the housing situation before he called you here? Did God know about the employment situation before he called you here? Did God know that stuff? If the answer is yes, then God had a plan for it. And we need to find it. And we need to trust and we need to stand. If you're really called, I'm just using this as an example. If you're really called here, God has a purpose for you here. And we need you here, all right? And sometimes they're going to be harder and sometimes they're going to be easier, but you need to be here if God called you here. Why? Because God called you here. If nothing else, as an honor to God and letting Jesus, did you ever notice the phrase Jesus is Lord? Lord, not not somebody I elected, okay? Not president, Lord, he either is or he isn't. And certainly you can go back and say, God, did I hear you right? But if he says yes, then you got to stick it out and you got to stick it out in faith and he will make a way. I guarantee he'll make a way. So all these things were new. Did, uh, were, we're there ahead of time. You know, um, people will say, well, you know, yeah, I see that in the Bible, but my family has always had this problem for generations. We've had this issue. So you're in a new family. You've been born into a new family. You have a new father. You've been born into a new family. And he just talked about it. This is where that problem can end so that future generations of your family don't have that issue. All right? Well, you know, I have a genetic predisposition to who made DNA? Who can change DNA? Okay? Doesn't mean it's not real, but it's not bigger and more powerful than God's word and God's promise and his commitment to use. This makes sense to you. Discouragement will try and m- m- just make the issue, the problem, huge in your sight. Why? To stop you. Again, in verse 28, it says, the, the people, this was their report, the people who dwell there are strong. Okay, that word strong is really interesting. It does mean physical strength, but it also means it it's, speaks of their character. It's, it says they're aggressive and they're insolent and they have a, real, they have a really angry attitude, okay? They have, a, they have a big attitude. There's no indication in these verses that these people, they were spies, right? That these people ever had a confrontation with any of these other groups. So not only did they start to say they're big, which they were, but they started to, it starts to magnify, well now, you know what? They're not just big they are really mean they're really oh, they're way braver than we are they have they're 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 strong they're aggressive they're insolent, so the thing just keeps magnifying and discouragement if you let it in your heart will will do that if you give it any room to start to grow it'll do that it will it will just keep growing in your life all right let's go on let's jump down to verse thirty okay. This is so good. So Caleb stands up. We know from the rest of the Bible, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that came back with a positive report. The other 10, and if you go back in chapter 13, you read through their names, none of you name your kids Eagle. None of you name your kids after any of those other 10 spies. And yet Joshua and Caleb are really common names. Why is that? Because those guys followed God, and did great things in the future. The other ones died in the desert. Died in the desert. There's a bunch of great names in there you can look at, you can consider for your children, all right? So in verse 30 and 31, Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And he said, let us go up, I'm reading from the Amplified now, let us go up at once and possess it. We are well able to conquer it. But his fellow scouts said, We are not able to go up uh, against the people of Canaan. They're stronger than we are. Okay? So this term, Caleb quieted it or stilled it. It's a it's a Hebrew word that means he gave a hard, sharp order for the people to hush. He told them to shut up. He told the the other spies to hush. And it's it's a it's an emphasis word, it's a strong word. It's he just stood up, he told them to shut up all right it means to silence someone with force and authority and that's exactly what we need to do when discouraging contradictory thoughts and ideas start to come into our head when we know the word of god or god himself has spoken something to us 1 corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5 we're not going to take the time to look at it today but it talks about taking captive arguments and strategies and, and uh, subtle thoughts that come in. And we're supposed to, and we have the power to, because the Bible tells us to do this, right? It tells us to do this. We are to take, it says, those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Christ, Jesus, is the word of God and the Bible is Jesus in written form. So if you have the promise of God on it, or God, especially when God has taken that promise from the scripture, and he has impressed it upon your heart as something that he is putting into your life, you have that. That word, that thing that God has said to you contains the power to take those contradictory thoughts captive and make them obedient. So what is that? Listen to me, because this might be the most important thing we get today. That is a process that the Bible calls renewing the mind, where we get our carnal fleshly thoughts out, and we, they are displaced by God's thoughts, God's ideas, God's purposes. All right, and, and that, both of those things have to happen. We can't just we can't just say okay in Jesus name. I know that's the wrong thought. I know that's contradictory to the word. So uh, I, I'm I'm going to try to set that aside, and I'm going to or I'm going to add God's thought to that thought. I've got to get. I've got to let the Holy Spirit destroy the stronghold that that carnal thought has tried to build in my life and build a new stronghold, a place of belief, a place where God can rule in my life. I've got to let him build that into my mind. Does this make sense to you? You guys know this. So so there's this displacement thing. And the reason I'm standing on this today is because I want you to know, first of all, you do have authority over your thoughts. You know, people say, oh, I can't help what I think. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. Or he wouldn't be telling us to do this. And, and so with this displacing thing, this is so contrary to where our society is headed. The whole postmodern way of thinking, which has really invaded a lot of the church now too. The whole relativistic postmodern way of thinking is, well, we can't ever say that one thought is wrong. And another thought is, right, we can't say that what God has said to us is true and what somebody else believes isn't true. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible actually instructs us to have judgment in that place, meaning we discern or discriminate between one thing and another. We separate them. And we adhere to one and we reject the other. I can feel it right now. This is like, oh my gosh, you're talking about you know, judgment. Yeah, I'm not being critical of a person that thinks that, but I'm not letting that thing into my heart. The Bible never tells Christians to be open-minded to everything that's out there. It tells us to be open-minded to God so he can continue to develop things and shift us because you know, none of us are going to be all right until we see Jesus face-to-face. But this idea is in our society that, no, I have to add their truth to my truth. I have to try and hold those two contradictory truths. That's loving, that's tolerant, that's nice. That's deadly is what that is. If God has said, there's only one truth. There isn't this... I have my truth and you have your truth. That's, there's no such thing. There is truth and he is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry that offends people, but that's the way it is. And so if we're going to try and hold the philosophies of the world, and this is whether this is about a sin issue. Oh, well, the Bible says that sin, but you know, all these people that I think are really nice don't think it's a sin. I don't care. They might be real nice. You don't have to hate them. I'm not saying hate the person. I'm saying don't let the thought take root in your heart. If you want to get somewhere, if you want to get to that final outcome, if you want to get to what God is calling you to get, here it is, two reports. In order to go into the promised land, they had to listen to Caleb and they didn't. If they want to listen to the, to the uh, other guys, the other spies, fine. But then this generation's going to die off and then God will bring somebody else in. Why? God doesn't change when we say, we don't think that's the way it is. I don't think it works like that. But whether it's a sin issue or just an attitude or whatever it is, you know, an example of this whole thing, back in the 1400s, there were still the majority of scholarly, learned people believed the world was flat. right? And then people started to, get some more information. And there were some that thought the world was round. And so I am, this is my, I imagine, I know there were all kinds of debates about that. And some of the people who were starting to say it was round, God hung for it. But, but there was this other truth that started to come in. And for people to, the only people who Got anything from that truth? It's one thing to stand on the beach and have coffee and debate is it round or is it flat? Well, I really believe it's round. Do you? Then build a ship and sail. Go out there where either you're right or you're going to fall off the edge of the world. Well, no, but I believe that it's round. That's different. That's actually not what the Bible calls believing. You can even have faith. You can start building confidence. You can start to be persuaded that it's round. But believing means, I'm getting in a boat and I'm going because there's something out there. And those are the guys that came and discovered all the new worlds. The guys that said, no, I believe it enough to build a ship, get in, risk my life, put all my weight in it, and sail across. And they did. And now... Most of us know that the earth is actually a sphere, okay? But that was, that's kind of how this works. You've got to let one thought displace the other. You can't hold the two together. Well, I think it's round and flat. No, it's not. It's either round or flat. Either what God says is true or it's not, all right? And, and you have to make that decision. And you can't, but that's the, boy, that's, you're going to get a lot of flack for taking that lifestyle. But that's the godly lifestyle. That's the Christian lifestyle. And if you want to get where God's trying to take you to go, you can't embrace every thought. You can't, you can't try to add all these worldly philosophies. Oh, I think that's good. That's what There's a big section of the church in America right now that's doing exactly that to try and please everybody and get people in their doors. And I wouldn't want to be responsible for it, is all I can say. So let's finish this up. We've got a few more minutes here. If that makes sense to you? So he says, let's go up at once. This is really interesting because there's a, in this sentence in the Hebrew, there's a single Hebrew word, and it appears appears twice in a row in the text, which tells me the Holy Spirit is emphasizing this. He says it twice, right in a row, the same word twice. And it means take immediate steps to go from a low place, pondering the impossibility to a higher place walking by faith. Take immediate steps, do it. And he says it twice, right in a row. That language, it commands us to, to just put a stop to embracing that negative report and grab hold. Caleb said, let's go right now. Stop thinking, hush, shut up. We're going with what God said right so they had that they had that choice he said we're going to go up and we're going to possess it that term means to dispossess or displace whoever or whatever is currently occupying that space and take possession of it that's something that has to happen in our hearts too if we're going to live in hope if we're going to live in the promises of god you know what is occupying this area of my life what is occupying my thoughts about my marriage, about this church, about this community, about our country, about our leaders, what is occupying my heart? Is it what God said? Is it in line with his word, his ways, his nature? Is it in line with that or is it not? If it's not, it needs to be displaced and replaced with what God has said. And that doesn't happen you know, in one prayer, in one moment. You've got to spend time with God for this. He says, Caleb says, we are well able to overcome. Again, another Hebrew word is is, uh, repeated twice right here. Same word, right in a row in the sentence. We are well able to overcome. It means we have the ability to endure any hardship and the strength to prevail against it the ability to endure any hardship and the strength to prevail against it. He says, we are well able to overcome. It is no wonder that this guy, Caleb, 45 years later, after Moses died and they went into the promised land and Joshua was the leader, Joshua and Caleb got to go. Caleb comes at 85 years old and says, I'm just as strong as I was this day. I am just as strong to take that land Give me my mountain. You can you can read about it over in what? Joshua 14, 6 through 15. It's a great speech. It's an awesome speech. And he says, I'm just as strong as I was. Give me my land and I'll go take it. And he did. And he did. It's no wonder because he stood that day and said, we are well able to go in and, and take this land, to do what God said and receive what God said we could have. So just the last two verses here. Uh, in verse 31, there's actually three verses, I guess. Verse 31, uh, but the fellow, the fellow scout said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Their confidence, where was it? They didn't say, Stronger than God is, although that's essentially what they were saying, but their conf- it, was, it was, They're stronger than we are. All right. So, what were they thinking? They were looking at themselves, not at God, and those people. They're stronger than we are. They were comparing those people's power, their perception of those people's power, to their power. They didn't even have the power of God and the ability of God in their hearts. These people, by the way, had come across the Red Sea. These people had uh, been supernaturally translated out of. Well, I mean, not they had to cross the Red Sea, but God fought for them on the way out. They saw the plagues. They saw themselves sheltered from the plagues. These people went through all that. And they still came to this place where they're thinking of, oh boy, those guys are big, they're mean, and we're just, we're just this. And the last verse is so telling in this, you know, verse 33 where they say, you know what, we looked like grasshoppers to them. This is a total assumption, but this is what, this is what discouragement did. We just looked like grasshoppers in our own sight and in their sight. This is, this is how they saw us. You don't know that, but this is what discouragement built into them. Verse 32, back up. Verse 32 says, so they brought the Israelites an evil report. That term evil report means slanderous. Because it was personally about God. They were talking about the people in the land. But in talking about the people of the land, the terms they were, they were talking about the promise of God. When they said, you know, uh, that those people are so big, they were saying God can't do what he said he'd do. So the Bible calls it slander. They slandered God with their unbelief and discouragement led them there. The more they looked as they were in the land, the more they looked, even though they were saying, you know, you just look at the comparison here they came back saying, oh man, this land flows with milk and honey. And look at the fruit. But they got into that, but the people are big. They're mean. They're aggressive. They're insolent. They're, you know, and they got into that whole thing. And then they got this resistance from Caleb and they just upped the game. I mean, they just, the fear rose up in them and they just upped the game. And, And essentially they were calling God a liar here. And if you Allow discouragement to to stay in your heart when discouraging thoughts. Some of you need to change friends. Some of you need to stop listening to people that are telling you that God can't do what He says He can do. I don't know why. You can still love them, but don't let that stuff in your life. Don't let it in your heart. You can't just put on the garbage can lid and just you know love them, but don't listen to them, man. They're they're taking you down the wrong. Road. So, so they said, this is just so amazing. Think about the initial report. And, then they, and so they come back with an evil report saying, the land through which we went to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people we saw there are men of great stature. The land, well, I know we said it was really good but it devours its inhabitants. But boy, they're all big and strong. Well, which is it? This is just, if you and I start justifying these contrary thoughts in our heart that are they're absolutely contrary to what God is saying and the life that he wants for us, and yet all oh, our friends think that way and the country thinks that way and it's popular to think that way, and we start pulling that in and we don't deal with it, we're going to get deceived. We're going to go into self-justification Which always leads to self deception and eventually demonic deception. And we're going to come out with statements like this all that land kills everybody, but boy, the people that live there are huge and strong. You know, makes no sense, and yet they went right by it. They said it out loud in public and never heard what they were saying. And the final thing I'll say to you is the other deception here is they say, you know, at the beginning we saw some giants. That was true. Now all the people we saw are giants. Their babies are this big. They're all giants. The babies could eat us alive, you know? And, and it just, you can see the magnification, the deception, everything that happened. And again, over in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28, it tells us with this, they, the hearts of this whole nation of people, this is at least a couple million people, And it says the hearts of the people melted like wax. The courage was taken out of them because a few people, a few leaders came back with this negative report. And so again, I think God's message to us today is if you build hope into your heart through spending time with God and in his word and doing what you need to do to filter some stuff out because you're going to have to. We live in the world and it's not on God's side. Do that process. Hope will be built into your heart. You'll have a vision for the future. You'll know where you're headed. Faith will be developed. Fill that and take you forward. But if you don't do that and discouragement is built in your heart, that discouragement will affect people around you. Even when you don't think that you're being that negative, your words and your actions and your countenance will affect the people around you or your hope. Your words, your countenance, will all uh, it will affect people around you. We can we can turn things. We can help people, but it's got to be real. It's got to come from the inside. It's got to carry the anointing of God. Okay, did you get anything out of this today? Let's stand up and pray together today. Thank you, Lord Father. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and, and I, first of all, Father, where we have taken hold of slanderous reports about you, we've taken hold of, of things that are just contradictory to what the Word of God says, philosophies of men, uh, cultural phenomena, cultural beliefs around us. Lord, where we have taken those things into our hearts and we've started to say, this sin doesn't matter or or uh what the the huge promises of God, those are just impossible he didn't really mean that, whatever it is, Lord, we repent of that this morning in Jesus' name, Lord, we turn that 180 degrees we turn away from those thoughts and we turn back to you and god we are so grateful that you are so faithful and so loving that you will speak your words to us again i thank you for that today i ask you holy spirit to engage every willing person in here and on the live stream if we're willing engage with our thoughts bring us the very breath and thoughts of god into our hearts Help us and show us where and how we need to take other thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. We trust you, Holy Spirit, to bring up the scripture in our hearts. We trust you to surround us with people that will encourage us forward in God and who are going forward in God. Lord, we thank you for it because we know that you have a future and a hope for us. We know, Lord, that you have us here in this place, in this generation to impact this world not just to exist until Jesus comes back, but to impact this world for you to bring heaven into the earth. And so, Father, we just thank you for working that process in us. We thank you for renewing our minds. And Lord, if there's anywhere where we've allowed discouragement to get down in our hearts, where we've begun to justify thoughts that are not yours, where we've begun to be deceived, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that those things be broken, that our eyes be opened and Lord, that every one of us have the courage to take hold of the good report and go forward in it. And we thank you for it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to go out. We're going to on the count of three say, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. And then we're going to go out there and be the church. All right. Good seeing all of you today. All right. All of you guys look like a camera, by the way. You need to do something about your hair or something. All right, let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube. We'll you